you think you know what we're going to talk about. But unfortunately, I fell down a damn rabbit hole and I've not gotten out yet. <laughs> Knife bros. I literally googled Sebastian Stan hands. But just when you least expect it, we changed the game. Well, yeah, because like, usually in astrology, they would partner up air signs with fire signs. All right, you can, you can huggle. Time travel stories and... At the end of the day, only one thing matters. We decide. Well, we should make it a topic. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't take German in school. I barely took... I took Spanish and I don't remember any of it. Three Fates Decide podcast. Hi, everyone. Um, here's another episode of Three Fates Decide. I am your host, Liz, and I'm here with uh, one of my co-hosts, Mary. Hello. Yes, um, our other co-host, Sam, won't be joining us tonight, um, mainly because this particular episode, uh, she doesn't have very much familiarity with it. Um, so it's just going to be the two of us this evening uh, as we record this. She's also on vacation. Lucky yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> we might as well tell the real reason why she's not here. She's on vacation. Lucky her. Right. And well, we decided that this is the opportunity for us to do um, an episode or two about something that she is not that familiar with. But we are. So we can talk about it. We can nerd out now. <laughs> right um anyway so this episode we is gonna be like i guess we could call this like almost like a part one of part two in a way yeah. yes um right this episode we're going to um as briefly as possible try to talk a bit about uh the world of a Song of Ice and Fire, a.k.a. Game of Thrones, to those of you who happen to be uh, TV fans only. Because um, obviously, if you've read the novels, you're pretty familiar with a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about in this episode. But, you know, if you happen to be somebody who only watched the TV show, or maybe you've not watched it at all and you've not read any of the books, but you don't mind the spoilers that are going to undoubtedly come up in this episode because you're curious. Like, you just want to know what the heck it was the big deal of the last 10 years. Um, this is the episode for you. And uh, like I just said, um, we are going to undoubtedly be spoiling quite a few things that uh, kind of comes up in both the TV show and in the novels. So you have been warned. Yes. Yes. So Big spoiler alerts. Although at this point, if you haven't seen this show or read the books, you're probably not going to. Yeah, especially um, the books, because we all know, for those of us who have read the books, we all know that George has said he is still working on book six, The Winds of Winter, and the last book that came out... Uh, a Dance with Dragons came out in 2011, which was the same year that HBO showed the first season of Game of Thrones. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. 
I'm sure he'll finish it eventually, but I wouldn't hold my breath on when that will be. Yeah, I mean, even the guy has given up on telling people his estimates because he knows that uh, he's going to get a bazillion complaints again if he attempts to do that, so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But at any rate, um, so just before we start, um, I just wanted to mention that uh, we are going to be using a couple different sources um, that were, that, um, you know, for the information that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Um, For me, I'm going to primarily be using my copy of The World of Ice and Fire, which is the, which is a book that Martin actually completed that he probably shouldn't have spent so much time on, but um, instead of writing the manuscript of uh, The Winds of Winter, but um, it's a pretty... It's a pretty good book if you don't already own a copy of it. It's basically a fictional history of Westeros. So I'm going to be referring to some of the stuff that's in the book um, in, on my side of the discussion. Uh, what are you going to be using, Mary? Um, I'm going to be using uh, Westeros.org. Uh, and I'm also going to be using the Game of Thrones wiki from fandom.com. Because I was looking and it has um, a lot. The Game of Thrones wiki on fandom.com has a lot of information. It'll give you the Game of Thrones characters from the actual TV show. Which kind of will tie in obviously to the book that we'll be talking about. But it tells you all the different noble houses. It tells you the seven kingdoms of Westeros. Um, It'll tell you about Beyond the Wall. So there's lots of information on it that I'll be using to help refresh my knowledge and expand my knowledge because I unfortunately have not been able to finish the first book because I'm just don't have time with a, with, with a little one. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it, but what I have read is like, I, I want to finish it because it's so good. It's just, yeah. I haven't been able to do it yet. So. Right. So my no. knowledge is going to be more contained with the TV show. More right. so than the book knowledge. However, that's why I'm using both of these to kind of make sure I'm saying what I should be saying. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are actually interested in reading the books, like, you totally should when you get a chance. Um, I did briefly mention this when we did our uh, fiction and writing episode um, a few episodes ago. Mm-hmm. I did briefly talk about um, A Song of Ice and Fire. But I I totally agree, like, what you were just saying, Mary, is that, like, in terms of the craft of writing, it is a really good book series, not just because of the entertainment value, you know, from the story itself, you know, from the books itself, but also, if you, if you want to, like, actually study, like, narrative, writing craft, you know, storytelling techniques... I would definitely say that this book series is one of those book series that you would totally want to read and kind of study, you know, uh, from somebody who's an experienced writer. I I agree. I agree 100%. His, the, the way of the way he has with words and how he can literally bring scenes to life with just writing it, it's to me that that 
that's a very rare craft. I don't find too many authors that can actually make me see the scene in my head when I'm reading it the way he can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which is why I really see, I genuinely do hope we eventually will get book six because there were so many things in the fi- in the fifth book that mm-hmm. were cliffhangers that, okay, granted, if you've seen the TV show, you probably have some ideas as to, like, how those storylines got resolved, but, but I would love to know how he interpreted it and also the fact that they changed stuff in the TV show from the novels in for some of the for some characters and some storylines. So the real the quote unquote real uh, resolutions and real you know to to the storylines he wrote in the books. I want to know how it really ended. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, I don't blame you. I would too. And like yeah. I said, I will eventually get the, all of the books read. It's just with a four year old, it is extremely difficult for me to find the time. And then right. when and at night, by the time I go to bed, I'm usually so exhausted, I'm literally falling in bed asleep. Yeah, I mean, you may want to invest in audiobooks because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, because it's like while you're doing something else, you can listen to mm-hmm. somebody narrating the books to you, and that that um, that may have to be the way you uh, consume the novels. Probably, yeah. most likely, it will be. Yes. Yeah. But at any rate, um, so there's a lot of material uh, to cover, but, you know, that one episode just on this alone is not enough. So I think um, just so so you guys are aware, we're going to like briefly cover some of the important locations for this particular series. We're just going to briefly cover like some of the different areas and locations and you know what if you guys are interested in us doing like maybe a short mini series of episodes where we expand into more detail about some of these places and maybe some of the people that we're going to talk about in this episode we are more than happy to eventually record that at a later point in time but for now we're going to try to you know cover the very basic information you need to know to understand what the heck is going on if you attempt to watch the TV show or read the books. So, anyway. Right. Um, just to briefly start. So, the obviously, you know, this particular book series, this TV show, it's set in a fictional alternate universe where it's a fantasy it's like a low fantasy version of medieval europe basically and george r R. martin has pretty much said this that like he got inspired you know uh with like the different cultures of the different kingdoms um that the story takes place in by actual european countries like some areas are based off of france some are based off of england scotland etc which, if you were to di- dive a little deeper about the different kingdoms th- that um, come up in the series, you will notice some bits of the culture commonalities between real countries in the medieval time period. Okay, so um, I guess one of the places we should start off with is a very important kingdom. Well, okay. First off, let's just start with the basics. 
So a huge chunk of the story of Game of Thrones takes place in the continent of Westeros. Okay. They call it the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros, but if you want to get really technical, it's actually nine regions, seven yeah. of whom were originally uh, individual kingdoms, and a couple areas were considered territories that were, you know, kind of going back and forth between the other kingdoms as to who actually had control over it. Uh, which, you know, for people who know real-world history, that is a very common thing that actually happened. Um, yes. Yes, especially in, like, medieval Europe, which, again, like I said before, uh, Martin based this whole fictional world off of. Um, and also, to a lesser degree, part of the story does take place in another continent called Essos. Um, for those of you who are obviously familiar with the TV show, uh, Essos comes into play in Daenerys' storyline, uh, primarily, and to a certain extent, Arya's storyline in the later seasons. So we will briefly mention a few of the cities in Essos where, you know, Arya and Daenerys travel to in, you know, but, but most of what we're going to be talking about is Westeros. So um, I guess for me personally as a fan, I don't know about you, Mary, but for me, the one part of Westeros that I have the most attachment to is, of course, also the biggest of the Seven Kingdoms slash nine regions of Westeros, which is the North. Yes, that's right. For those of you not familiar with this fictional universe, it is called the North. Yes. <laughs> nice and, and simple. It's it's I I have a uh, strong affinity for the North as well. So yes, yes, yes. So the North, geographically speaking, makes up roughly half of the continent of Westeros. That is how big this particular region slash kingdom is. Um, and as I describe it, it is actually it used to be a separate kingdom before. They all got united into one giant territory, pretty much, ruled by one king. The, the one family who is in charge of running slash ruling the North on behalf of the actual king of Westeros is, of course, House Stark. Yes. Yes, that's right. Their name is Stark. Should... Now, obviously, I don't know if this is for a fact that George R. R. Martin named this particular uh, family after Tony Stark, but uh, he has admitted that he is an Iron Man fan. So, <laughs> and hey, I could I could picture Tony uh, wanting to be part of this family, wanting to be called Lord Stark. Oh, I could too. <laughs> Why does everything seem to uh, tie back to uh, the MCU? <laughs> I know, Everything right? ties back to Marvel. Pretty much. <laughs> uh, anyway, so just to very briefly talk about this particular family, they are a very major family in the saga that we call A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, How Stark, once upon a time, were the king's 
of the North, or rather King in the North, as they're often referred to. Uh, they were the one family out of all the different families in the North who were once petty kings, and over many centuries, they became the kings. And um, another interesting fact within the lore, this fictional history, is the fact that one of their, um, the, the progenitor of House Stark, if you want to call him that, was a man known as Brandon Stark, a.k.a. Bran the Builder, because according to history slash legend, he built the wall, which is what I like to describe a huge ass wall that crosses the continent, basically, to separate Westeros from stuff on the other side, which we will briefly get into a, a little bit later. Um, and he also built quite a few other things. Like, there were rumors that he built some other famous castles throughout Westeros, but of course, the guy lived roughly 2,000 years before the start of Game of Thrones, you know, the slash the first novel in the book series. So mm -hmm. how much of it is quote-unquote real history and how much of it is just legend, nobody knows. But, but they're still entertaining stories. Um, and of course, one of the most important things other than the wall that he built is the family castle that House Stark still occupies all the way to the quote-unquote present when um, the book series and the TV show takes place, uh, which is the castle Winterfell. I believe, well, they don't get, really get into it in the TV show as much, but I believe over, like, on top of and around Hot Springs. So a lot of fans especially speculate that the design of the castle would actually include um, an early version of uh, indoor plumbing to uh, help uh, keep the castle warm, you know, using the hot water pipes flowing through the walls. I believe it because it's cold in the north. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. You could, you could make an argument that some of the culture, uh, some of the... Uh, traditions are loosely based off of scotland maybe even bits of scandinavia with the vikings and stuff like that because i could kind of see some similarities actually what about you yeah mm -hmm. definitely yep yeah um at any rate so house stark happens to be the family that runs the north and they have ran the north since they became the kings that you know, beat out all the other families to control the North. And they eventually surrender their title, their crown, to another family who is the family that unite all the other kingdoms. And we will get to them a little bit later in the episode. Yeah, I guess that's like all what we can say about the North without turning this entire episode into <laughs> just about this one family and yeah. uh, the lords that serve under them. Anything you want to add? No, I think I'm good because, like I, like you said, we could make this episode just about the North. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if I start talking, yeah. we'll just keep it all about the North. Let's go. Let's keep it moving. So I think logically we should move just south of the North to the Riverlands. Yes. What do you think? Yes, that's just what I was thinking. The Riverlands, they're roughly in the center of the continent of Westeros. Uh, they've been ruled by the Ironborn. 
at the time of the books, um, it was House Tully that still rules, I think. Or is it House Frey? Well, that gets a little tricky. Um, so originally, at the start of the books, it was House Tully. And we kind of get this. We kind of know this because um, at the start of, you know, Game of Thrones, Ned Stark's wife was once named Catelyn Tully. Yes. So her dad is technically the ruler of the Riverlands. The, 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 the person who rules all of Westeros. They get referred to as Lord of the Seven Kingdoms. But the thing is, is that the Riverlands was never a separate kingdom. That is actually one of the nine regions to... So there's like basically two regions out of the nine that were never actually kingdoms. And I did mention earlier how mm-hmm. two of these regions happen to be territories where the other actual seven kingdoms were fighting over who controlled it. And one of them happened to be the Riverlands because like you actually mentioned earlier, uh, Mary... At one point, the Ironborn, who are from the Iron Islands, which is a separate kingdom, they did have control of the Riverlands. And at another point, uh, the rulers of the Stormlands also control the Riverlands. So because of the central location of the Riverlands, which you did mention before, um, it's very easy for the different kingdoms to be fighting over the most central part of the continent. I think... I think George R. R. Martin said that parts of, I think, France or Germany or maybe like the smaller countries like the Netherlands or whatever is his his influences over this particular uh, region. Um, and as you can guess by the name, the Riverlands, it's an area where it's got a lot of rivers th- flowing through it, which means that with all this access to water, it's very fertile agriculture agricultural territory which makes sense why somebody would want to control this land to get more farmland right yeah i think that's all we can get into about that the Vale is to the east of the riverlands yeah so what do you know about it it's it's small for the most part it's not it's not nearly as big as some of the other kingdoms it's ruled by the house of aaron Mm-hmm. They they're only accessible during the warmer months, during the warmer seasons, because of the way it's situated in the mountains. That snow covers the passes during the winter, and you can't get to it. Yes, exactly. It's pretty much the main information about the Vale. Yeah, the ruling house of the Vale had for many centuries been the House Aaron, and their castle is called the Eyrie, and it is a mountain fortress. Which, from a logistical perspective, is actually a brilliant move because you're up in a freaking mountain. And if you are an invading army wanting to attack the Aerie, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, forgetting forgetting about wintertime for a moment, it's a freaking mountain. You have to send your army to climb up a freaking mountain. (laughs) Right. All the siege equipment and try to attack this thing. And meanwhile... The defensive army, they just have to drop a bunch of rocks on you, and that's it. <laughs> it's <Pretty> over. Much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's- but as, yeah. 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 Uh, but as I kind of, uh, we kind of implied earlier, um, eventually, this was one of the seven kingdoms of Westeros, and eventually, 
they did have to surrender to the people who united to uh who united westeros and that's because these particular people found a way to get around the whole we live in a mountain fortress kind of defense uh yeah let's just say it involved uh aerial attack okay which for those of you not familiar with game of thrones um can't hint, we are talking about a fictional medieval fantasy world. Uh, what famous form of potential aerial attack <laughs> can you guys imagine somebody might be using in a fantasy world? <laughs> Take a wild guess. I, I, I mean, it couldn't be dragons, could it? Of course <laughs> it is. Yes, yes, somebody has control of dragons, and yeah... Having a large flying fire breathing dragon is a pretty good way to get around the whole I am I am on a huge ass mountain and you uh, can't get defensive the tactic. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh I guess we'll stop there on the veil. Um Yeah, um the reach will be our next area. Ah uh, yes, the reach. Yes, the reach. It is um what most people would describe as like almost the garden slash breadbasket of Westeros because mm-hmm. it is all the way in the south. Like it is one of the most southern kingdoms yes. of Westeros. So you can imagine that it has very warm climates, plenty of fertile farmland. And uh, actually, for those of you who are familiar with the TV show and even the books, um, it's it's also pretty famous for producing some excellent wine. So you can definitely tell mm-hmm. that Reach is loosely inspired by southern France and possibly Italy as well. Yeah. With with all that uh with all the vino going on and uh, <laughs> plenty of crops. Um mm-hmm. and of course, different families have ruled the Reach actually, but when we get to the start of Game of Thrones, the ruling family is House Tyrell, and they appropriately live in a castle named Highgarden because of the agricultural power of the Reach. You can imagine that they have quite a bit of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Also, one of the other interesting features about the Reach I should mention is um, actually it's also where the citadel which is the which is like the uh central educational capital i guess you could call it of westeros is located yeah if you want to get the best and highest levels of education in this fictional world you go to the citadel and unfortunately it's men only so if you happen to be a really brainy woman then unfortunately you can't get into uh their their version of uh university so tragic so tragic it is but unfortunately for the, as a fictional uh world that's kind of keeping in the themes with medieval european culture women were not educated back then not, not really i mean most women were not educated past a certain point and what they were educated in was how to care for a home care for children care for a husband that's what they were taught they weren't taught whether they were bright in math or languages or whatever it was. Unfortunately, a lot of wasted talent. A lot of talent went to waste back in back in the day. Right. 
Yeah, it is very unfortunate. Can you imagine where we would be if women were allowed to be educated back then? The Citadel does, it does come up quite a few times um, in the TV show, mainly because, again, because it is the location of their, like, I guess you could consider it like their equivalent of a university. The most educated people in all of Westeros are the Order of the Maesters, and that is where they get their education from. That is where they get all their training before they get sent out to advise various nobles and even the king of Westeros himself. And I guess, like, that's the main thing we'll, we'll end off in, uh, with the Reach, unless uh, there's anything else you can think of to mention. No, that's... Pretty much covers it. The Westerlands. As you can probably guess by the name, they are a kingdom that is on... They are a Western side kingdom. Um, so what what info do you have? Um, they were known uh, as Kingdom of the Rock for, for a while. Um, mm -hmm. They are ruled from the castle of Casterly Rock which is ruled by House Lannister. Yep. It is actually one of the smaller regions, but it has the largest population of people. Yes, it does. Uh, it's got, it's also a very highly sought after for its um, mines because it has a lot of uh, precious metals yep. in the area. Oh, yes, it does. It definitely does. <laughs> uh, yes. Those of us who have read the books or seen the TV show know very well that the Westerlands is famous for its mining because, well, they're, well, House Lannister, they like to, they, they're one of those uh, families who like to throw their money around. Yeah. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And hey, let's not forget also, uh, their sigil is a roaring lion it is with a red a golden lion on a red background mm -hmm. so hey they, they 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 know who they are yes they do yeah very much so house lannister have actually ruled the westerlands for a very very long time in fact when the westerlands stopped becoming be, they, when they were no longer an independent kingdom the last king of the Westerlands was a Lannister. So they got to keep their crown. Well, they got to keep their position as the ruling family of the Westerlands because they did eventually surrender. So, and uh, actually, a fun fact um, like you mentioned earlier, the castle they, they live, they rule is called Casterly Rock. And yet, why is the family called Lannister? Well, the funny thing is that. The original owners of Casterly Rock were a family called Casterly. And obviously they don't know if this is based on real history or if it's just a, an amusing made-up tale just to make them look good. But the their ancestor, known as Lan the Clever, somehow tricked the Casterly family to abandon their castle and he took over the place and then over time the family that he started eventually became known as the Lannisters now whether that story is true completely made up bullshit or something in between we don't know 
We don't right. know, but it is a fun story <laughs> that they like to repeat over and over again. Yes. <laughs> I think it's pretty amusing. It is. I guess the one last fact to mention before we move on is um, in a Game of Thrones, House Lannister is extremely significant in the events happening. Uh, just like we want to point out how how Stark has a huge impact on the stories um, in, in, in the saga. Mm -hmm. House Lannister does as well because the queen of Westeros, at least, you know, that, you know, at the, at the start, was Queen Cersei Lannister. And her dad is, of course, Tywin Lannister, the ruler of the Westerlands. So, yes, we should not be surprised that they are heavily involved in the shenanigans that happen. <laughs> not at all. Not yeah. at all. I think we should go to the Crownlands. Okay, yes, the Crownlands. Um... Yeah, they're not really so much a cap. They're not really so much a kingdom, right? As they're one of the nine regions. Yep, because they kind of it just kind of sits there. Yeah, I think the crown lands are like basically um, territory that belong to like a mix of the Reach and the Stormlands and maybe Riverlands the, and the oh, Stormlands. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember which kingdoms it it mm -hmm. was originally a part of but it's basically like border it was, i remember it was like land that was like bordering two different kingdoms and then it became a particular region that was separate from the two original areas right and that was because as you could probably guess by the name crown lands the capital of westeros is located in this area king's landing Yes, King's Landing. Now, I'm sure for people... Now, of course, if you know the books, you've read the books, then you know exactly why it's called King's Landing and why the, some of the land around is called the Crown Lands. To a degree, they do mention in the TV show. But um, just to explain, uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the veil, but um, the family that united or... Yeah, they, they, they united Westeros is um, House Targaryen, who... Yeah, we'll call it United. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll call, we'll call it United. Uh, the more accurate term is uh, they sent in their army and their huge-ass dragons and basically told people that, uh, listen, listen here. Uh, we, we rule now. So you yeah, either kneel or die. Yeah, it, you either bend the knee or I'm going to have my dragon burn you alive and yeah. you can suck it. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much what they said. So, but we will politely call it uniting. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> King's Landing is the capital of Westeros. And as you could probably guess by our references to dragons, it is literally the part of Westeros that House Targaryen landed their army and landed their dragons first on Westeros. Yes. And they were like, hey, let's make this the capital. Yep. And why not? Yes. Well, it's it was good. also, wasn't it also the, the closest to, it was also the closest place, maybe not quite the closest place, but one of the closer places from their, their home on Dragonstone to yes. invade. 
Yes, actually it is. It's literally right across the bay. Yeah. Right. So we, so, you know, for those of you who happen to be uh, medieval history nerds, um, you could probably guess that um, this reference that uh, George R. R. Martin likely used was uh, the Norman Conquest, where you had William the Conqueror landing from Normandy in France to England. Mm-hmm. So, and appropriately enough, the first king of House Targaryen, who basically took over the place, Happens to be known as King Aegon I, also known as King Aegon the Conqueror. Hmm. Why does this ring a bell now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, like we said, uh, King's Landing is the capital. Uh, so the lands immediately around this capital are referred to as the Crown Lands. So... From a feudal system perspective, it basically means that the crown lands are under the direct control of, at the time, House Targaryen. But of course, by the time we get to a Game of Thrones, uh, to Game of Thrones, the TV show, and even the beginning of the novels, we have a completely different dynasty ruling. Yes, we have the we have House Baratheon as the rulers. Yes, we will get to them in just a little bit. Um, yes. But, um, yeah, so whoever basically occupies, you know, whoever's ruling Westeros, their direct domain that they have direct control over is the Crown Lands. So the Crown Lands, obviously, because, will provide some of the food source for the capital, which is, of course, a huge city, as you would imagine any capital of the kingdom would be. Um, but, of course, again, like any huge capital city they do get some of their food from the reach which is a which is in the which is a neighboring kingdom so and uh so it shouldn't surprise you that because of this fact uh the ruling family which we mentioned earlier was house tyrell they do pop up in the story shall we say i guess like before we we move on um the one interesting fact i'm going to bring up is actually not related to the books per se is actually related to the TV show. Uh, starting in season two of the TV show, they used an actual location to portray King's Landing, um, particularly the outdoor scenes, obviously, because, you know, the indoor scenes clearly could be done within, you know, a s- studio sets. But yeah. for, for the outdoor street scenes and for scenes that are meant to be, you know, on the ramparts of the castle, which incidentally is called the Red Keep, uh, by the way, it's actually film. It was actually filmed in Dubrovnik, Croatia, and you can imagine once they revealed that that particular city is where they filmed uh, the King's Landing scenes. You can imagine uh, tourism went up a lot for Croatia. <laughs> yes, yes, it did. That was actually a. It was a. It was a huge boon. For Croatia, because Croatia is not one of the wealthier Middle Eastern countries. No, it's not. I mean, it, it's, it is actually, well, I haven't been able to visit it yet. But um, from my understanding, from what I've seen, like from pictures and stuff like that, it is a beautiful country. Very yeah, nice. I've, I, I've heard that too. I've. It, it would be a very, I think it would be a very interesting place to visit. I don't know that I will ever make it there myself, but... 
it does seem like it's a beautiful country. It really does. It could it could go on your uh, travel bucket list. <laughs> yeah, guess that's all we can say about the Crown Lands and King's Landing. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, okay. Iron Islands. Yeah. Okay, we could talk about the Iron Islands. Um, yeah. So, what do you know about the Iron Islands? Uh, they are several uh, small islands off the west coast of Westeros. Um, they're ruled by House Greyjoy from the Castle of Pike. Mm-hmm. They are a. Um, they are known. They are who are known as the Ironborn because obviously they're the Iron Islands. They are famed for their naval skills. Um, and they they had a uh, their culture was built on raiding and pillaging of other countries and other in the mainlands of Westeros for a very long time. Yep, I guess from a cultural perspective, you could kind of see how he very like Martin loosely based them off of Vikings. Although mm-hmm. I would say they're more like the extreme stereotypes of vikings because people that have a little bit more knowledge of like early medieval scandinavia would realize Mm -hmm. that yeah they're not just about raiding and pillaging stuff which they did do i mean don't get me wrong they totally did do that stuff Mm -hmm. i mean it's well documented but you know it's not all pillaging and raiding i mean if anything the pillaging and raiding was mostly during um times of the year where the growing season was not very productive in, you know, what we now know as Scandinavian countries like Sweden, Norway, you know, Denmark. So logically, how else can you get resources when it's now wintertime and nothing, almost nothing is growing at this point and whatever you harvested is what you harvested. You get the fighting men to go on a boat and go get stuff. Pretty much. That's why, like, I would say, you know, especially like any for people who have read the books in particular, you you realize that they do have some cultural commonalities with, you know, Vikings, you know, early Scandinavia. But like I was saying, it's mostly like the really exaggerated extremes almost of the culture. Yes, I guess the other interesting fact to mention is that um we, I kind of we kind of briefly touched upon this when we were talking about the Riverlands but they did rule the Riverlands at a certain point in time and during the time period that they controlled the Riverlands they built one of the most infamous and unique features located in the Riverlands which is this giant monstrosity of a castle okay called Heron Hall and Heron Hall was basically uh, built by a king of the Ironborn named Heron. So obviously Heron Hall or Heron's Hall, you could pr- you could imagine is the origin of the name. Um, he decided that you know what I'm a dope ass king, and we're dope ass people. So you know what I'm gonna show it off by building a huge ass castle to sh- prove it. <laughs> And it became the largest castle in Westeros. Uh, very impractical. Very impractical. I mean, you need like a, an actual army of servants to run this place. I mean, the way it's described in the books, it's like, it, it, it's like ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. why the hell anybody would want to live in a place like this? 
I don't get it, but uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Hair in the black thought it would be his legacy. He was he was crazy. Yeah, I mean, you kind of figure that you know only somebody who is kind of crazy would think that uh, 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 a huge ass castle like that uh, makes any sense. Aside from the fact that it's a huge ass castle, the other interesting thing was that um, the at the time that uh, House Targaryen showed up and were uh, conquering things that technically don't belong to them. They showed up at Harrenhal and they did their usual thing of like telling them like, okay, we got dragons, we got an army, surrender now or uh, we're going to do our, 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 our thing. And of course, because it's a huge ass castle, uh, King Heron is all like, uh, no, uh, I'm not going to surrender. And, you know, uh, I, I think uh, we're, we're pretty safe in here. And um, yeah, we get to find out what ha uh, how does uh, a castle handle dragon fire? Because when this castle actually shows up in a Game of Thrones, in, in Game of Thrones and in, in the novels, uh, we already know that it's a half burned down uh, wreck. <laughs> ruins and uh a lot of care like a lot of people in the fandom kind of joke about how um being given a lordship of this castle Hall means uh you're gonna be cursed to misery and possibly death at some point <laughs> because that pretty much happened to every owner after uh after the targaryens showed up so yeah because of the raiding thing that the Ironborn have a annoying tendency to do, um, take a you you know if you were to look at a map of Westeros, you can kind of figure out uh, where did they have a tendency to do a lot of their raiding at. So you can imagine that they are not very good friends with people in the Riverlands. Obviously, they are not good friends with people in the North. They are definitely not good friends with people in the Westerlands, and they're not good friends with people in the Reach either. Because you know. It's rich farmland, and of course, why wouldn't you show up on your uh, Viking pirate ships and steal stuff? Yep. Anything else you can think of? I, I can't think of much else to add. No, I think that's a, probably about it. Yeah, we got two more kingdoms left, folks. Yes, um, we are going to the Stormlands. Yes, they are the primary... Uh, territory ruled by house baratheon originally until uh they became king king of westeros although actually it's really of course the oldest brother king robert who became king but he has but he has a younger brother well two of them actually and uh one of them is technically the one who rules the stormlands what other info you got mary that's about all i got too there's surely not a lot to say about the uh, stormlands yeah it's kind of, like, for me, as, as somebody who didn't read the books, it's kind of annoying that the TV show barely mentions the Stormlands. Um, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that uh, the upcoming TV show that uh, HBO's been filming, they do bring up the Stormlands a lot more because some interesting stuff that we're not going to get into in this episode because it's going to be too long. Um, a lot of interest interesting historical things actually happened in the Stormlands. I guess like one of the interesting stories I am going to mention is um, so the ruling castle, you know, that the Brathians live in is a castle called Storm's End. Mm -hmm. no notice the theme here. Um, it's actually a castle built on like a, a cliff that overlooks the sea. Um, one of the interesting stories I'm going to mention is that when the, again, this is back to when the Targaryens showed up and were like, hey, <laughs> this is our stuff now. 
there was a different family who, of course, were ruling the Stormlands at the time. And um, the king was killed. And he had a daughter who was still in the storm, who was at Storm's End, and she was, you know, holding the castle on behalf of her dad. So then they sent in, so the Targaryens sent in uh, one of their lieutenants, a guy named Oris Baratheon. And uh, some stuff happened, and uh, he ends up marrying this daughter. And so he technically becomes the lord of Storm's End and lord of the Stormlands uh through some legitimate means by marriage so you could say that house baratheon is actually descended from uh stormland to uh royalty and like i mentioned there's some other historical events that actually happen in the stormlands but we're not going to get into it in this episode maybe maybe if we do a a follow-up episode uh later on we could talk about some of these yeah. stories yes we could, act, yeah. and maybe in a in a separate episode, we can also maybe get more into some of the uh, more notable places in these areas because we're really just kind of talking about the area itself, and we're not really talking about like more of the like some of the major cities and stuff like that, which we could always get into later. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, guys, uh, guys listening to this, totally, totally, let us know if you think that mm-hmm. we should dive deeper into all this stuff because you want to nerd out with us or maybe you you want to know because you're a tv fan and the tv show didn't cover a lot of this stuff so right yeah okay so the last kingdom of westeros that we're gonna get to is dorn so what do you know about dorn dorn is a very deserty desert-ish climate to it it is actually ruled by House Martell. Yep. It has it's actually one of the smallest populations because of its climate, but its wine is considered the best wine in the world. Ah, uh, yes, the Dornish red. Yes. Yeah. 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 And the only reason why I know that is because um it throughout the books and even to a degree um in the TV show uh they the, a lot of the wine drinker characters yeah, will usually mention Dornish usually red. Mention. Yeah, we'll mention yeah. that particular vintage as yes. a favorite. <laughs> I, I think uh, Tyrion mentions it often. Yeah, if I remember correctly, um, and there's and uh, their seat of power is at Sunspear, so their their capital is Sunspear. Yep, it's really about all I really have, other than what some of the stuff from like the mo- from the book from the TV show, which we're it- we're yeah, which we're not going to yeah. get into here. Right. Um. Yeah. Um, House Martell does have some involvement in the goings-on in the series, so they, they, they are definitely a family that you have to keep an eye out on. And just as a preview of the next episode where we actually talk about the TV show and the books to a certain degree, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, um, I was severely disappointed as a book reader how they handled the Dornish characters other than Oberyn because there is so much stuff from the books that they cut out in the TV show and it messed everything up. Messed everything up. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And all you book fans, all you book readers, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And but like I said, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it in this episode. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, th- I mean that's pretty much all we can really talk about. Um, I guess the one interesting thing to mention, actually, actually, um, this is a pretty good segue to something um, that I didn't mention 
well, that neither of us mentioned um, in the episode, but um, in Westeros, there's actually what you would consider three different, um, for lack of a better term, ethnic groups that live in Westeros. So you have, um, you have, um, you basically, yeah, you basically have like three ethnic groups, you could say. Well, I guess you could consider it fourth if you count the Targaryens into the mix. Mm-hmm. So you have people who are, as an example, um, House Stark. They consider themselves first men because, as the name suggests, they were the first humans in the continent of Westeros. So you could make an argument that they are the original human population living there. And then later on, you have an invasion by another group of people called the Andals. And then you have... Dorne, where some of the people, including House Martell, would describe themselves as ethnically being uh, the Roynish, who are actually people who originated from the other continent, Essos, which we're going to very briefly talk about um, to close out this episode. So when you talk about the King of Westeros, you know, like any, like any royalty, they have like a bazillion titles, right? Part of the titles for the King of Westeros is to say that they are the King of the First Men, the Andals, and the Roynish. Although the TV show doesn't really mention this. They just shorten it to King of the First Men and the Andals because a majority of people who live in Westeros, they are either consider themselves First Men or Andal. And the Roynish are primarily in Dorne. But again, you know, the TV show kind of cut out things and uh, i guess the last observation i'll make about dorn is the fact that um based off of some of the clues you kind of get both in the tv show and in the books uh it seemed like george used uh spain as like his cultural geographical uh inspiration for dorn and uh, incidentally um the scenes in Game of Thrones, uh, when they were filming scenes that are set in Dorne, they did actually film it in um, parts of Spain, particularly um, for the castles, um, for like Sunspear and the nearby uh, castle of uh, the Water Gardens. They actually filmed it in Seville. And uh, by coincidence, I actually know where they filmed it in because literally... A year before they did the filming, I actually visited the castle, the the pal, the the palace that they were um, they used as the outdoor sets. So, which is pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. Um, I guess that's all. That's all for Westeros. Um, I guess we'll briefly talk about um, Essos um, in the context that there are certain locations that come up in the da- particularly the Daenerys storylines. You you wanna you wanna talk about it? Yeah, there's, um, in Essos, there are nine free cities that, in a, that, that we, that we know of, or that are known, known to be in the area. That's also where the, the Valerians are originally from. Uh, the Dothrakis are also in the area. Yep. Which are a huge, um, they play I shouldn't say a huge part, but they do play a very significant part of da- Daenerys Targaryen's story, at least in the 
the TV series. I don't remember how much they play in in the books. I know fairly significant, but I'm not sure exactly how significant. They're mostly in the first book, a.k.a. season one. Mm-hmm. Um, they do come up again towards the end of, of the fifth book, a.k.a. season five. Mm-hmm. Which you, which for those of you who've seen the TV show, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, unfortunately, seasons six to eight are going to be based off of the uh, final two books that George says he's working on. So we don't ultimately know to what degree no. they right. make an impact uh, in the final two books. I don't know, but hmm, to a degree, they do make an impact. I mean. Um, so for those of you who don't know, um, the Dothraki are basically wandering horsemen, nomadic people, and they're very known for raiding and pillaging. Uh, I guess, like, for those of us who, especially who happen to be book fans, um, book readers, we sometimes like to describe them as, like, knockoff, uh, Mongolian, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's just what context. I'm getting ready to. I was just getting ready to say. I think they're they're most similar to the to the Mongolian people, right? Ancient Mongolian people. Well, even nowadays, they're still fairly uh, nomadic, right? We could talk about this more in in a later episode, but um, mm-hmm. for a lot of a lot of, especially for the book readers, uh, some of us kind of feel like the portrayal of the Dothraki is like basically a. Kind of, kind of like with the Ironborn, where they're like an exaggeration of Vikings. A lot of book readers feel that the Dothraki are like an extreme, like interpretation of uh, the Mongolian, uh, of like Genghis Khan, mm-hmm. um, uh, that sort of thing. Because when you really read, like what the stuff the Dothraki actually do. It's like, it, it does get a little racist, to be honest. It's like, there's like some racist stereotypes happening. Whether you want to argue what if he's being racist or if it's just, or if you want to argue that, you know, the interpretation of their culture is through a character who may have questionable views of the world of how they perceive things. Yeah, you, you, you can make that argument. Mm-hmm. That, uh, it's a biased narrator. Um, so the nine free cities. Um, one of them that's pretty important is Bravos. Yes. I think some people feel like Bravos may have been inspired by um, Renaissance Venice, actually. I've heard that. I can see it. I can definitely see it. Yeah. Obviously, like, at least for the TV show, you could kind of see that, you know, the way they designed the, the set, you know, the city to look like, and even some of the culture that you can see, it does give you a, you know, a Renaissance uh, Venice kind of feel to it, which is interesting because Westeros is, is you know, a fantasy version of medieval Europe. So it's it's fascinating how by having Bravos be more like Renaissance period, that it's almost making the argument that Essos is more enlightened to a certain degree than Westeros is in terms of culture and development. 
Which is kind of an interesting argument mm -hmm. to make, actually. I guess another place to mention um, is uh, actually Marine. There, there's a good chunk of Daenerys' storyline that takes place in Marine, particularly part of season four and season five, actually, of the TV show, where she, for a period of time, she's the queen of Marine. And then there's brief mentions of some of the other cities like Astapor um, and Karth. And Yunkai. Yes, and Yunkai as well. Yeah, those, those, those cities uh, become kind of significant in her plot line because of the fact that um, they happen to be cities where a huge part of their economy is slavery. It is a huge thing in her storyline, slavery and her campaign to end slavery by force, which for people who are students of history, um, we know how that works out. And in a fan even in a fantasy alternate universe, uh, it's not that different. You just add in dragons and Dothraki and stuff like that, and you kind of get the picture um, of how that works out. Yeah, I mean, that, that those are the main places in Essos that pop up. I guess, like, the one final place that we briefly will mention, and we made references to it valeria valeria in this in this book saga in this tv show has almost a mythic this was atlantis kind of status to it except that within the context of this particular universe um it very much existed because the targaryens that was where they originally came from they originally came from valeria which I would say culturally is like a fusion, like it's like a fantasy fusion of mostly the Roman Empire and some aspects of uh, ancient Egypt as well. I don't know what do you what do you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you just throw in some dragons in there, and that that that's Valyria for you, um, pretty much. Uh, it was an empire. It conquered, actually, quite a bit of Essos. In fact, some of the cities that we mentioned earlier, like Bravos and, you know, Karth and Yunkai, Marine, etc. Uh, most of these particular cities, the local language is actually variations of Valyrian. Valyrian language from the Empire of Valyria, which, again, like I was saying earlier, you, you kind of can tell that uh, Martin actually loosely based Valyria on the Roman Empire. Because, of course, as we all know, uh, countries that used to be part of the Roman Empire, they have languages that are based off of Latin. So, there we go. Yeah, so the bit I mentioned before about ancient Egypt, yeah, the one notable thing about ancient Egypt that uh, Martin kind of used when he created the Valyrian culture is uh, the fact that some of these noble, particularly the noble families in Valyria, um, yeah, they, they kind of did the same thing that the pharaohs did, which is to kind of keep things in the family, we shall say. I'm sure you guys can figure out what I meant by that. Yeah. Honestly, we could we could easily do an entire episode just on House Targaryen. I mean, yeah, yeah, the shenanigans—they're a lot. I mean, the shenanigans these people get up to. Let me tell you, <laughs> to take up an entire 
no, not even an episode. It would take probably two or three episodes to cover all the stuff these people were up to. Yeah, the only one they could give them a run for their money would be House Lannister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although, to be fair, House Lannister does not have dragons. No, House Lannister does not have dragons, but House Lannister has some really messed up people in it. Yeah, they they're do. doing some really messed up things. Yeah. So before we sign off, just as a reminder, um, we have an email address for you to send in your comments, uh, suggestions for future episodes, things we could do to fix this show because you think we could fix some things. Um, it is our email address is three fates decide at gmail.com. It's the title of our show, all in one word. And the three is spelled out. Yes, it is. And we also have an Instagram. Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, there is actually nothing on our Instagram. I've been very lax in trying to post stuff, which I will be rectifying this week. Um, you can find us at Three Fates Decide on Instagram. Same thing. We are open to any uh, comments, suggestions, praise, uh, constructive criticism. Only, please. Thanks for listening, everyone. Catch us next time. And see what we're going to talk about. Because the three fates decide.